0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to our Pack Politics Podcast. We've got a good episode for you in this moment. I don't want to say tonight because it may not be at night when you're listening to this. We're going to talk about in this episode what the people want. Uh, but let me kind of give a kind of random bit of information before I get this thing started. In the last podcast episode, I kind of had an issue with a notification coming on while I was doing the show. I got a new laptop and typically I don't record from the laptop but I'm out of town and so I'm recording on the new laptop and I thought that I could just put notifications on priority only and the notifications would be silenced. Yeah, turns out I'm not as text heavy as I thought. I apparently needed to have it on alarm only. So I just want to put it out there that yes, I finally did put it to alarm only so we shouldn't be getting any notifications of even alarms while I am doing this. And I don't think I have any alarms scheduled, so we should be good to go. So anywho, back to the topic at hand, talking about what the people want. We're going to be looking at what, and even more specifically, how we can learn about the U.S. electorate by examining an electable politician. Let's go. Let's jump right in. So, I am your host, Brittany McDowell, and in case you forgot, over the last, what, minute, minute and a half, you're listening to our PAC Politics Podcast. Uh, Our podcast is brought to you by a tax-exempt political organization by the name of our United Resource Pact. See, if you've listened to this before, you probably were like, no, she didn't say it in the order she normally does. Yes, I switched it up on you tonight. Yes. So our podcast, in case you're wondering, is pretty much about the politics of five key issues. We talk about biological gender, illegal immigration, rideshare regulation, welfare reform, and the good old baby murdering, aka abortion, even though we know it's not good, as absolutely terrible, right? So if any of these are issues that are of importance to you, this is totally, totally, totally the podcast for you. Uh, And one of the things to consider is that we don't just talk about these political issues. Again, we are a political organization. So we actually make impact on these issues. And we do that by working to defeat and elect the right politicians, politicians that are again supportive of our causes and our stands on these issues, politicians on the local, state, and federal levels. If you do want to be notified of upcoming podcast episodes, the best way to do that is to check out the link in the description box of this episode, or you can either follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook so we can connect. And again, you'll be notified as soon as we put them on social media. So, yeah, super simple. If you want to do it, if you want to connect, again, best way to do it. So let's go ahead and let's get started. There's a politician by the name of Doug Collins, and he won re-election in 2018 with more than 79% of the vote. And so today we're going to examine... Uh, what I consider to be an electable politician. And we're going to do this so that way we can learn what citizens of the U.S. electorate want. Okay, now when I say that, you might have something in mind, but I can guarantee you by the time we reach the end of this episode, the end of this segment, your mind is going to be in a completely different place in a a good way. I'm not going to like boggle your mind. I know sometimes, especially with my rants, I probably can but I'm not doing that to you tonight. I'm, I'm taking your mind to a, a good place, a very good place. <laughs> so we're going to take a look at what got him reelected, so we can learn more about the desires of voters today. So before I start, I need to start with this disclaimer. Okay. The election of a single politician is not indicative of the entire electorate, okay? Um, But the election of a single politician can indicate the desires and values of a significant majority of, say, a segment of a segment of a segment of the electorate. The it can give you the desires and values of a segment of a segment of the electorate or a segment of the electorate. So again we're either going to be dealing with when a politician is elected the values and desires of the segment of an electorate of the segment of a segment of the electorate or the segment of a segment of a segment of the electorate. So tonight we're talking about the segment of a segment of a segment of the electorate. <laughs> so repeating the factoid that you heard earlier, Doug Collins was elected with, uh, I said 79% of the vote, but uh, he was elected with 79.5. And you know, when you were in school, you were taught that if it's a 0.5, you round up. So we could say 80%, but we'll be fair in fair to the other guy. And we'll say 79.5% of the vote in his district. Excuse me. So um, as the incumbent, Doug Collins got 100% of the Republican votes. Okay. And those votes totaled 63,646 votes. Okay. Uh, And so we're, we're dealing only with the primaries of the elections at that point, because before you get to the generals, you have the primaries, which concern the parties. So again, he was the incumbent, he was running against nobody on the other side, the Democrats had two candidates. Okay. Um, and you, how do I put it? Um, In the Democratic primary for U.S. House Georgia District 9, only one candidate won of the two, okay? There were two people that won, okay? But the one that won got slightly more than 53% of the votes in, in the Democratic primary, okay? so what can we take to this? And and I'm kind of pausing because I know where I'm going with this, and I don't want to confuse you this early on, okay? But I will ask again, what can we take from this? I would say that this segment of a segment of a segment of the electorate, uh, we're talking about Republicans in the primary elections in the state of Georgia, District 9, saw more voter activity at The ballot box than the Democrats. But why? To understand why Republicans saw more voter turnout in the primaries and ultimately won the general, there are a few things that you have to understand, okay? You have to understand that in Georgia specifically district 9 that district is 31% uh 31 points rather excuse me um, more republican than the national average so you're dealing with a district that is more republican from from the very beginning okay so it was expected that the seat was going to stay republican okay this is why in the primaries Republicans saw more turnout, but how can we go on to explain what we saw in the general again, when you have the Republican competing against the Democrat in the general election. And again, we're talking about Georgia district nine, the Republican Collins in the race. Um, He raised more money. He spent more money. uh, And even with spending more money, he had more cash on hand. Okay. Um, You have to also consider the fact that there are 159 counties in Georgia. And of those 159, five are what's called pivot counties, okay, and these are counties that voted for Barack Obama in 2008 and then in 2012 uh, voted for, but then in 2016, they voted for Donald Trump, so again, they're called pivot counties, okay, so you're not talking about a lot of pivot counties, but again, five out of 159, uh, that's a few, not many, but a few, okay, Um, But to put it in perspective, when you say, oh, that sounds like a little bit, the nation only has 206 pivot counties. Okay. So it's not like there's a whole bunch of them in the country. Okay. Um, And and most of these counties are um, in the upper Midwest and Northeastern states. Okay. So uh, another key fact here is that Georgia voted Republican in every presidential election from 2000 to 2016, okay? Now, again, this is just presidential elections, okay? Um, Republicans in that state held 10 of the 14 U.S. House seats, uh, and heading into the 2018 election, Republicans held both the U.S. Senate the U.S. Senate seats, okay? Um, So they only had two of those seats. But as you should know, every state only has how many Senate seats? Two, no matter the size. So um, before the general election, in if it it wasn't August, it might've been September, um, but I believe in September, Uh, As of that time when the data was taken, Republicans held uh, 10 of the 15 state executive positions. Now, you might automatically assume, oh, well, the other three must have been Democrats. Nope. Three, those other three positions were held by nonpartisan officials. So um, the state executives were either Republican or nonpartisan. Okay. No Democrats held state executive positions. Uh, there's also the fact to consider that Republicans controlled both chambers of the Georgia general assembly. They had, um, a majority in the house and then they had a majority in the Senate. I don't have those numbers in front of me. Um, and then you want to hear the icing of the cake on the cake. It's, it's not any of those facts that I just told you. These might seem like random factoids, and you might be like, why is she spitting all these facts at me? Stay with me and hang with me for a second. Again, we're talking about why the Republicans won the general, and and you can even say the primary in Georgia in District 9. I'm going to tell you the icing on the cake, so listen up. Georgia was what you, um, prior to the general election, would refer to as um, a Republican trifecta. Okay. This is, this is the icing on the cake here. And what that means is that the Republican party, <clears throat> excuse me, controlled the state government. Okay. Um, and then when you look at specifically what that means, that means that there was a Republican government or a rec- Republican governor. Um, and then you also had Republicans controlling the state legislature. So again, a trifecta, okay? And again, that's the icing on the cake and all of this and the icing. So those random facts, but then the big thing that I just told you about the trifecta, it tells us something. It tells us a lot about what the people want in this segment of a segment of a segment of our electorate, okay? This information tells us that Slightly more than 10 million people, which is the total number of people in the state of Georgia, a state mainly occupied by women, all of this tells us that the people in that state want... newsflash, I'm not going to tell you what they want based on that information, okay? Because that's not the point of this episode. Remember I told you in the beginning that based on what I said at the beginning, based on the introduction, you might think that this episode is about one thing, but it's actually about something else, okay? Um, this episode is not about what a segment of a segment of a segment of the U.S. electorate wants. Okay. Um, Point of it is that there were very important pieces of information left out of this analysis. Okay. Uh, And those pieces mainly were the political platforms of the individual politicians, uh, of the individual candidates, and The political platforms of the two parties, the Democrats and Republicans in that specific state. But again, I left it out for a reason, because this is not uh, an episode about analyzing what a segment of a segment of a segment of the U.S. electorate wants. Okay, this episode was not about despite what you might think. It wasn't about boring you with numbers or random factoids, especially if you don't reside in Georgia what this episode was about was teaching you for yourself how to learn about the electorate, okay? The information, while it may not be the most fun to deal with and dig through, the information is out there, okay? We live in the age of information. Um, And quite frankly, with your access to information, you should not be surprised when certain candidates win and certain candidates lose. And you don't have to be a super politically savvy person to figure this stuff out. Again, all you have to do is look at the data. Again, in this age of information in which we live, if you say you don't know something, it's you may genuinely not know it. However, if you... At a future point, still don't know it. It's because you choose not to, not because the information is hidden from you. Because it's not. Again, the data is out there. You just have to look at it. Okay, um, you just have to look at. You know who was controlling what? Uh, who? What have voters consistently supported? You know what has the what has the trend been uh, in the elections? And it, again, you can look at it at at a, at a at a national level to try and see okay well let me see maybe I can kind of look at and I can tell you when you get to the national level it gets a lot more complicated um but start on a local level to to see okay well you know can I actually analyze the political landscape can I actually figure out Um, what's likely to happen. You actually can, you know, and it might seem like there are many questions that you can and should be asking. There are, especially when you start talking about at the national level. But when you start, you know, at, at a more local level or you get to the state level, you don't have to ask as many questions, but you still should be asking questions. All you have to do, again, It's just ask a few of the questions, not even all of the questions that you need to. Even if you can't put the entire puzzle together, you can put a piece of the puzzle together. So that way you can confidently make political analysis. And I'm going to tell you why this is important. Uh, And and it's not because I want you all to be political strategists and I want you all out there Uh, analyzing the political landscape, although that would be nice. That's not what I want. I'm going to tell you what I want in just a second. Some would say that we are entering the presidential election. Others would say that we've already entered the presidential election. Okay. Um, and, and soon enough, or even already, political strategists are going to be analyzing the big political puzzle in front of us. You know, who's going to win? Who's going to lose? Who has a chance? Who has no chance? They'll be talking about, again, who's likely to win and who, who likely isn't to win. Okay, And I want you to consider the fact that some of these strategists, especially when you're talking about the mainstream media, they aren't actually out here to analyze the playing field but they're actually out here to influence the playing field if they tell for instance their political opponents that your candidate has no choice he or she will never win and they they ha, 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 they'll never be elected or reelected in some cases Especially if they get enough people to do it, if they get enough people to feel a certain way, before I say this, let me note that feelings dictate your actions, okay? Emotions dictate your actions. So if they can influence or appeal to your feelings, they can impact your actions. If they, by their quote unquote analysis, get on TV, and tell you that the candidate you want has no chance, or if they say, well, most Americans think that we should be out there murdering babies, or if they say something that's in opposition to what you believe, they have opened the door to influencing how you feel about your ability to make an impact. And again, if they get enough people to feel a certain way, they end up making an impact on the other side by basically dissuading voters to turn out. In this election cycle, Um, I want you to at least try to put the pieces of the puzzle together for yourself. I'm not saying don't listen to strategists. I'm not saying don't listen to the pundits on TV. No, you can intake what they're saying, but keep in mind that what you were hearing may have ulterior motives. And those motives might be not to give you the facts that are being presented, but to influence your emotion. So that way, That emotion and your interpretation of said quote-unquote facts make you act a certain way or cause you not to act at all, ultimately giving them what they want, okay? And and remember that you don't have to know all of the pieces, you don't have to be super politically savvy, you don't have to know everything. But if you just have just a few questions, if, if you know the right questions to ask, well, what, what have been the trends, you know? Uh, and, and I'll like I said earlier, I'll be honest in saying that trying to put the political puzzle on a national level is a lot more difficult than uh, looking at uh, individual levels on the local or state, uh, individual um, puzzles on the local or state level, but it still can be done. And it shouldn't, the fact that it's harder shouldn't dissuade you from trying to Again, put those pieces of the puzzle together for yourself. Okay. You just need to know about the pieces and the politicians that impact the issues you care about the most. Okay. So if you, you know, remember at the beginning of this podcast episode, I talked about the five issues that we talk about the politics of maybe, you know, one of your core issues is abortion and you believe that it's utterly wrong and, you know, you don't support it. You need to be looking at the political landscape related to abortion. Okay. Um, And again, especially if you're considering this presidential election, maybe you can't, you know, do an analysis for each and every state, but Find out, Okay, well, what are the swing states uh, and how do they feel on this issue? Um, You know, ask some basic questions and use that information not to come up with a solid analysis and conclusion, but to give you kind of a guide um, or a buffer of truth, your own personal truth. In dealing with what you might be hearing from pundits, yes, and you may hear out there from some pundits, "Hey, this candidate has no chance," and they may be very well telling the truth. And I'm not saying that these these candidates, excuse me, these uh, pundits are out here all lying and frauding. I'm not saying that, Uh, but they do exist. And so again, to limit the possibility of your actions being impacted by emotions, uh, either. caused by or influenced by what you're hearing, you at least need to know or have some general ideas to, are they telling the truth or are they not telling the truth? And even with a little bit of information, you can properly discern what you're hearing out there. Uh, If you don't believe me, I did a recent episode, I don't remember the title of it, where um, we looked at Um, the immigration plan of President Trump. And as much as our organization supports that plan, um, based on analysis that we had done and that I discussed, you know, on the air, I let it be known that most likely he's not going to get this part of this immigration plan through. And I lay down, this is why, this is why, this is why, this is why. Again, I don't remember that exact episode, but please go back and find it. (laughs) And, and if you do use that again as kind of a guide, because this might have been a little bit too complex or just a little bit information overload, but go back and listen to that episode and you can see just with very minimal and very basic information, how you can put the pieces of the puzzle together for yourself to determine is something politically is likely to happen or not likely to happen. So take that this, because this, my friends, is truly what the people want. This is what the people of the U.S. electorate want. So, we are on multiple podcast platforms. You can find us on 10 podcast platforms. To find out what platforms they are, check out the link in the description box of this episode. Uh, You'll click the link and it'll take you to a page on our website where you can uh, just click the podcast platform of your choice and be taken to our page on that podcast platform. And again, you find that in the description box below. So thank you for listening. This might have been a, uh, an episode that was information overload. If you've made it this far, I'm surprised because it was just a lot of data, a lot of facts that may have seemed random, but hopefully, like I said, by the end of this episode, you understand how and why we've ended up here and why we've made the conclusion we did. If you don't, consider re-listening to this episode. (laughs) But anyway, again, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate the podcast. If you have the episode, excuse me, if you have the ability to rate this specific episode, Please do so. And don't forget to share, 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 because people need to know, well, how do I discern for myself? You know, if you're a Christian, the Bible talks about discernment. Just had to throw that out there. I'm not going to get into Bible verses because I know this isn't a religious show, but I just kind of felt that on my heart to kind of note and, um, you know, so, you know, if you're not a Christian, you should still learn to discern too. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes discernment is in the form of like a feeling, but sometimes that discernment can be factual. And, and that's what we talked about tonight. So thank you so much. One more time for listening, guys, enjoy your night and we will be back tomorrow. Again, you were listening to our Pack politics podcast. Have a good one guys.